Let's pray together. Listen, guys, we're getting, we're getting some echo on this, and if we can just catch that right now, that'd be great. Thank you. Let's pray. Oh, God, a mighty, mighty, mighty fortress are you for us, for the old Reformation. And, oh, Lord, we are praying for the new Reformation. Be that fortress, mighty to the end. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Before we plunge into the story, the last story, Martin Luther, I want to flip it, I want to flip it over. I want to start at the end and move to the front. I want to think about the New Reformation. I want to share with you a dynamite. Now, you, got, you, you just have to brood over this very quickly. A dynamite ending that the English historian Derek Wilson gave to his biography of Luther. Just a paragraph. You could miss it. But it is so explosive for you and me and this new Reformation we're talking about. And so without any further ado, I'm going to just, I'm going to put Derek Wilson on the screen. Take a look at these words. Whatever else it was. So this is from his book, Luther Out of the Storm, all right? Great biography. Got it from the uh, James White Library right here on campus. Whatever else it was, the Reformation was the world's biggest ever evangelical revival. That is, it called all members of the Christian world and, through the work of missionaries, the whole of humanity to sign up to the three fundamentals of evangelical faith. Let's check them off. Number one, the primacy of Scripture. Oh, we covered that. Number two, the centrality Centrality of the cross, we covered that. And finally, number three, the necessity of personal conversion. We got it. But I want you to hold on now. Watch what he does next. So this is just one little paragraph. We're splitting it up. But here comes his next line. Provocative. Provocative it was for me. Luther died. Did you know this? I never knew it. I found it now in two of his biographers. Luther died a disappointed man because he believed that his message had failed to conquer the hearts and minds of many people. It just never, it, it, it never, it never got traction. It just never worked. It fizzled. He was right, Wilson goes on. He was right, but only because he had set himself high standards. With the benefit of hindsight, we can see that religious revival is always limited in its impact and in its duration. German pietism, that would be Nicholas von Zinzendorf. The Methodist revival in Britain, that would be John Wesley. America's Great Awakening, that would be Charles Finney. The later movements associated with the names of Dwight Moody, William Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, Billy Graham, and others, they all eventually reached and passed their sell-by dates. Now, that's British English for what we would say here in the States, expiration dates. They all passed them. It's over. Now, that's good news and bad news, because the truth is you never can measure the fruit of your own life. Now, now listen to me carefully. To all outward appearances, for some of you here, maybe for a whole bunch of us, it feels like it's washed up. It just never got the traction that I thought it was going to get my life. But there is a God in this universe who is never in a rush 
and who often moves quietly way behind the scenes in your own life, let alone someone else's. It may look like your sell-by date has expired, but because God is who God is, don't you ever give up on yourself. He's not. Now, Derek Wilson is not talking about you and me. He's talking about movements. I'm thinking of this faith community you and I belong to. And he goes on. One more, one more uh, line or two. Here it is on the screen. Inevitably, what happens to churches like ours? Inevitably, zeal wanes, vision fades, and vibrant churches become institutions. Keep reading. The old adage always holds, holds good. And this is dynamite. A mission becomes a movement. A movement becomes a machine. A machine becomes a monument. And a monument becomes a museum. Until, now notice how it ends, until woken up by the next revival. There it is. I'm thinking of our faith community that I love and serve and that you love. Has that happened to us? Vibrant mission in the beginning. Then this movement. Then it turns into machinery. And then the machinery calcifies into rock, a monument, and finally, a museum. We got a church on this campus called Pioneer Memorial Church because the action is all behind us. Oh, boy. Dwight, tell me, please, it's not that true, is it? I'm hoping it's not. But what's that line? Until woken up. Oh, I love this. Until woken up by the next revival. Ladies and gentlemen, the Reformation is over. This little, this little three-parter comes to an end right now. No more history. We've had enough history. There's something beyond history. There is the possibility of the next revival. There is a possibility of a new reformation. That's the only reason we went to these three Sabbaths. Come on, you could, you could do Luther in 20 minutes. But I'm banking, I'm praying that there's something yet to come. The new reformation. All right, here we go. Before we walk out of here, three stories of Luther that are the defining stories. We've saved the best to last. All three of these take place, take place in places that begin with the letter W. Wittenberg, Worms, and Wartburg. All right? It's October 31. It's called Hallowed Eve. Rightfully called Hallowed Eve because November 1, everybody knows, is All Saints Day. It's 15, 17, and it's a cloudy, cold autumn morning. As the young professor and pastor, his face, his countenance with anger, as he blows the autumn leaves in his stride to get to the university bulletin board. The bulletin board is a door. It's the door of the university castle, church. Today is October 31, and Luther knows that tomorrow his parishioners will be lining up to come through these doors to pay to see what Elector Frederick of Saxony is boasting as the finest collection of relics anywhere in the land. Tomorrow, when the doors open, you'll be able to gaze on a jagged thorn from Christ's plated crown of thorns, 
You'll be able to look at a torn fragment from the baby Jesus' diapers. You'll be able to see a, a faded strand of Mother Mary's hair. A hundred other relics. And here's the deal. If you will pay to see these, if you will buy what they're calling a plenary indulgence, you could knock off up to two million years in purgatory for yourself or for somebody you love just for buying the piece of paper. And Luther is incensed. Pulls out his hammer, pounding the thumbtacks, which are nails into that board. Ninety-five theses. Ninety-five challenges to the church in Rome. Luther thinks it's just going to be a little academic debate. He has no idea that after he walks away, somebody's maybe in, at the, maybe in the night, somebody tears the 95, handwritten by Luther, 95 challenges, takes them to a printer. And because of Gutenberg's discovery 70, 80 years earlier, that, type, that movable type will be set. And before weeks have gone by, the entire continent of Europe rise in this fomenting Saxon challenge to the hegemony, to the dominance of the church in Rome. Ninety-five theses. Take a look at this. You're not going to believe this, but thanks to my friend Jim Ford, who is associate director of the Center for Adventist Research. These are not the 95. I'm sure they exist somewhere on this planet. They got to be worth millions. But this is what Luther wrote. This is actual. This is actually 1518. So this is that old. And don't worry, Jim Ford. We have, we have a plainclothesman sitting all around. And Jim Ford is on the second row saying, Dwight, don't you, don't you screw this up. I'm going to show you. I want to get a camera on this. Can we get a side shot on this? Take a look at this. This is actual German. This is 1522. This is Luther. Now, let's see what page I happen to open to. Okay, 27. Okay, you see this? It looks like it says con 27. Okay, that's thesis number, thesis number 27. Okay? So that's just a short, the big print there. And then he writes underneath, he writes in German his, his explanation for that thesis. Our son, Kirk, came home from Ruth Murdoch one day when he was going to school here, and he, he was so excited. He said, Daddy, Daddy, you're not going to believe this. They taught us about Martin Luther today and how he nailed up the 95 species. <laughs> this is not species. This is theses. These are challenges. Take a look at those challenges. This is from 1518. Ellie Froome, in that uh, classic series of four volumes, Prophetic Faith of Our Fathers, he writes, put, put his words on the screen, please. Seeing the corrupting influence of these indulgences among his own parishioners. See, that's what makes him so mad. He's a pastor. Luther tried to stem the tide and refused to absolve those who show up to Luther with this little piece of paper that they bought and say, hey, guess what? I'm not going to purgatory. I got out of it. Get out of jail free card. Look at this. I bought it. Luther st tried to stem the tide and refused to absolve those who, from their sins who produced an indulgence purchase, purchased from Tetzel. Who's Tetzel? He's a little Dominican friar. Tetzel had a little jingle, a great marketing jingle. It went like this. This is Tetzel. He used to sing this as he's calling people to step up. As soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. Your mother's in purgatory. Your father's in purgatory. How about a... Don't you have the money to get them out? You can. You buy this piece of paper right now. Who will be next? And he's hawking it. 
That's Tetzel. Therefore, Froom goes on, therefore the immediate spark that ignited the Reformation did not come from the theological chair, nor even from the pulpit, but from a faithful pastor who was roused to protect his flock from spiritual harm. Isn't that something? God bless the countless thousands of faithful pastors, men and women on every continent of earth who, like Luther, shepherd God's people with humble courage born of Christ's Spirit. Look at, look at great controversy on the, on the screen. One line. Luther had been called as a shepherd to feed the flock of God that were hungering and thirsting for the truth. Martin was called to be a shepherd. One more quotation. This is from Timothy Lowell and Derek Nelson's uh, biography, Resilient Reform, Reformer. They conclude the biography by noting all the titles that had been accrued by Luther through history. He was a prophet. He was a hymn writer. He was a musician. He was a leader. He was a Bible scholar. He was a professor. But they end with this, and I'll put their words on the screen. The one title Luther has been given on which there can be virtually no equivocation, one that does not have two sides, has no yes but, is pastor. On the most momentous day in his turbulent life, we're going to Worms in just a moment here. On that day, the day of his examination at the Diet of Worms, Luther rose early so that he could hear the confession of several people with heavy hearts. He, didn't want, he did not want to be right about doctrine for the sake of being right, but for being helpful to troubled consciences. His concern for preaching, both his own and that of others, trumped everything else in his theology. The word pastor literally means shepherd, and Luther was like a German shepherd in more ways than one. Isn't that good? German shepherd. He was a shepherd. And so at the risk of alienating others, I want to say now to some behind me or in front of me, it is indeed possible that Christ is calling you, too, to walk in His steps as a shepherd, as a pastor. I can assure you that if He is calling you, whether you are a young man or a young woman or not so young, it doesn't matter. You, if you say yes to Him, you are in for the most high seas adventure a human being can have as you spend your life focusing on the souls of human beings. Not their bodies, their souls. Is He calling you? If He is, then you must say yes. Is He calling you? If you're not sure, call me up. I want to talk to you. All right? Call me up. So that's Wittenberg. Three W's. Worms. Oh, it's late afternoon, April 21, 1521. The German city of Worms, the Diet of the, the Parliament of the Holy Roman Empire has been convened all day, and it, the business is dragging slow. Martin Luther nervously waits to be re-ushered before the assemblage of the most powerful human personages on the planet at that time. I have a picture in my study. I look at this picture every single day, and I'm going to show it to you now. Put it on the screen, please. This is the painting of Anton von Werner. Look at that. You see the young Charles V, the emperor. You see all the prelates of the church in Rome, and there he is, tonsured, that little crazy haircutted monk and priest and pastor, 
Martin Luther. Luther knows. Keep that picture up. Luther knows that he will likely be given the death sentence and summarily executed. You see, yesterday, you may not know this, but yesterday, he appeared before this august body, but for something akin to stage fright, which caught him off guard, and he was not prepared for the two stunning questions of the prosecutor. Martin, are these your books? And will you recant them? And in barely a whisper, he pleads with the court, I need some time to consider my response. He's had weeks. Luther hurries back to his quarters, his mind and heart in the clutches of cold fear and panic. And some of you know what that feels like. Through the night, he's wrestling with God in desperate need before the Almighty. This sentence appears in great controversy. No wonder. Put it on the screen. From the secret place of prayer came the power that shook the world in the Reformation. I want to tell you something, folks. If we're ever going to have a Reformation again, if there will be a new Reformation, it will also come from the secret place of prayer. Nowhere else. And it was that night of prayer that revived Martin's heart and soul with the assurance, God is, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear? So Luther was supposed to be brought before the diet at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. But like I say, the business is really grinding slowly. And it's not until 6 o'clock that the guards come for him. Martin, it's your turn. By now, the land has grown dark. The crowd has enlarged from yesterday. They're trying to pack it into the original quarters. They can't. They have to choose the Episcopal Hall next to the Romanesque Cathedral. And it's dark. And so candles have to be lit around the crowded Episcopal quarters. One of the, one of the uh, commentators remarked that the presence of candles lent a sanctity to the ensuing hearing. And the poor prosecutor frustrated and unhappy with the apparent delaying tactics of Martin, starts all over again. All right, Martin, let's ask them again. Here they are. Number one, are these your books? And number two, do you recant them? And now with a voice that rings out with a confidence born from God Himself, Luther acknowledges, yes, these are my books. And as for that question, do I recant them, and not taking a breath and giving the prosecutor an opportunity to interrupt, Luther begins to explain that these books actually represent three categories of books. And I need to explain to you what each category is. And that anybody who wanted Luther terminated is praying he will not say anything but yes or no. But Luther launches into a defense of his writings. And in this particular book, this is why I wrote this. And in this particular book. And the poor prosecutor can say nothing until he's through. And when Luther is through, Martin, I ask you, do you recant these books? And now in words that have, that have been memorized in children and church schools all over the world in the last 500 years come these words on the screen, Martin's reply. Since then, your serene majesty and your lordship seek a simple answer. I will give it in this manner. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the Scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves, I am bound by the Scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and I will not retract anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. May God help me. Amen. 
There was no resounding amen in that hall. Nobody found that a beautiful terminus to this grand and eloquent defense. But the Spirit of God had outsmarted the strategies of darkness. By the way, Roland Baton, the most beloved of, of Luther's uh, biographers, writes, Luther had spoken in German, okay? He was now asked to repeat it all. Repeat it all, Martin, in Latin, the language of the church. He was sweating. A friend called on him, reading Baton now. If you can't do it, doctor, you've done enough. Don't worry. Luther again made the affirmation his defense in Latin, then threw up his arms in the gesture of a victorious knight and slipped out of the darkened hall. Here I stand. I can do no other. Man, there's going to be a generation. There's going to be a generation one day that will say the same by the way they live, that will say the same by the way they confess their love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wittenberg, Worms, and finally, Wartburg. 1521, as Luther is quietly slipping away because the emperor promised him safe passage home. After that, all bets are off. And Luther knows he's marked now for the rest of his life. As he's slipping out, a day goes by. He has with some companions a little a horse and a cart. Then out of the dark forest, masked warriors grab the reformer, hood him, bind him up, ride off with him, and nobody sees Luther again. Turns out... Elector Frederick of Saxony has high regard for this citizen who teaches in the new University of Wittenberg and has faked the kidnapping to remove Martin Luther from the scene. Not a peep. I've been to that castle. I'm going to show it to you right now. Oh, I tell you what. Look, look at the location of it. It really is on a rocky outcropping, and that is solid forest as far as the eye can see. You would never find him. You could never follow a track. In that castle for 11 months, ensconced, there is Martin Luther. Now, you're not going to believe this, because we think that either Wittenberg or Worms would be the, just the pinnacle of Luther's career. No, 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 no. Scholars are saying what happened in that building, in that rocky Fortress is the seminal moment in the Protestant Reformation. Let me read uh, James Reston, Jr. He begins his book on Luther's 11 months in the Wartburg Castle this way. Words on the screen. This is the story of the most intense, the most pivotal period in the life of the great reformer Martin Luther. At the Wartburg, he wrestled courageously with the most profound questions of Christian life. He interpreted Holy Scripture for the common person. Miraculously, Luther not only survived this ordeal at the Wartburg, but flourished. His literary output in these furtive months was astonishing. Letters, sermons, essays, translations, indeed without any books to refer to during this period, he would succeed in changing the German language forever as he would transform a rebellion against Rome into a lasting alternate religion called Protestantism. Hounded into the Wartburg, he emerged 11 months later with strength and stature to face his persecutors and to triumph over them. Wow. Just when you think that you're in this obscure, nowhere, nothing happening little village in Michigan, and your life is just dwindling away, 
just when you think it's all over, God, whose eye is on the sparrow, locks in on you and says, No, girl, you don't know this, but this will turn out to be the most important time you have ever lived. Stay with me. I know what you can't know. Boy, I know what you can't know. You stay with me. You don't run. You don't write your biography or autobiography. Let me write the story. I'll determine what's worthy and what's waste. Eleven months later, the Protestant Reformation has been sealed, carved in rock, and it cannot be broken. Oh, Get me to preaching here if we keep up with this. Let me show you something else. Oh, be careful. All right. Boy, isn't that something? James White Library, you not, you're not going to believe what they have in that lower-temperature cooler. I went in there yesterday. Thank you, Jim Ford, again. Guys, you're not going to believe this. So Luther goes into Bartburg, 1521. He comes out, 1522, 11 months later. 1523 because he translated the German New Testament in the castle. He got that done. Old Testament's going to take time. One year later, the first five books of Moses, the Pentateuch, has been translated with, with great European woodcuts. See if I can find with a, with a picture. Yeah. I'm just going to hold it up. So this is it. In German, do you understand that the Bible was purposely kept in Latin because only the church can interpret it and only certain people in the church can understand it and the rest of you just take our word for it? This is what it says. And Luther comes along and says, no more, whoa, no more taking, no more taking anybody's word. I'm going to write it in the language of the people. They will study and let them decide. And here it is. In German. Wow. And you and I, we'll toss the Bible, just toss it on our bed, throw it up, in a, throw it up on a shelf. No big deal to us. I got, I, got, I got 20 more where that one came from. Not to worry. And he gave his life just to get it in the language of his people. Wittenberg, Worms. Vartburg. 500 years later. Okay, I want to end with this. 500 years later. I have a question for you. I need you to answer this. I need you to answer it in your mind. 500 years later, what is left to reform? Come on. I mean, what is left to reform? Is there anything left at all? If you had a little piece of paper and it had, uh, it had this sentence on it, let's put it on the screen. It had this little sentence on it. How would you fill in the blank? Can you see, can you see that sentence in the monitors above you, uh, orchestra? Dear God, we really need a reformation in blank. What would you put in that blank? Dear God, we really need a reformation in blank. We really, we really need a reformation in our church. That's what it is. We really need a reformation in this university. That's what I'm thinking of. We really need a reformation in our home, in my marriage, God. I really need a reformation. We really need a reformation in our theology. How about our ecclesiology? We need a reformation. What are all these ologies? I don't know. But we need it. We really need a reformation. I need a reformation with my walk with Jesus. I need a reformation in my heart. Oh, God, the world needs a reformation. What would you put in that blank? Dear God, we really need a reformation in. 
Do you know what? If God were sitting in the pew today, better yet, if he were in the pulpit and I'm sitting in the pew with you, what would God say? Could it be that God would say this? Children, 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 children. Great, great, wonderful answers. I love them all. I love them all. I accept all of them as valid. In fact, let's do them all. Oh, God, you can't, you can't do all of these reformations, all of these, and just, psh, oh, yes, I can. I have a gift. I have a gift. I'm going to give you a gift. And when you get that gift, hold on now, hold on to your pew. When you get that gift, you will have every other gift in the universe that I possess. In this one gift, I'm giving it all to you. With one gift, there'll be reformation in every quarter, in every heart, for every life. I have one gift. You say, God, give me that gift. Give me that gift. I said, all right. Ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will, how's it go? You will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. The words of Jesus, red-letter words. Put them on the screen, Luke 11. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who continually, day after day after day, ask for Him? How much more? One gift. Come on. Can you prove that one gift thing? Okay. Let's put it up. Put it up now. Thoughts from the Mount of Blessing. One line. The Holy Spirit, the representative of Christ Himself, is the greatest of all gifts. God says, ask me for the Spirit. Hey, you, ask me every day for the Spirit. Girl, you ask me every day for the Spirit. And if you ask me, I will give it to you. Because your, your, your parents, they were evil. Oh, they did their best, but they gave you good gifts. How much more will I? Your heavenly parent give you the Holy Spirit if you ask for Him. I don't give it to you unless you want Him. You ask, I'll give it to you. Wow. That's just some little New Testament twist. No, no, no. Come on, put up the Old Testament. Isaiah 43, 19, God says, Behold, I'm going to do a new thing. What are you talking about, God? 44, verse 3. I will pour water on those who are thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. You ask me, and I will give you the one gift that will bring every other gift in the universe, and you want a new reformation, I'll give you a new reformation now. But you ask. You don't want it, you're not getting it. You have to want this gift. Some gifts you get from me, you toss them aside. Nah, nah, that's nothing. This gift you have to ask for. You ask me. Day by day, continually ask me, how much more will I give than what your parents gave? I mean, look at it. It's, it's a big deal to God. You know why we know? Because when God came here and became us, human, Watch this. One sentence on the screen. Morning by morning, Jesus communicated with His Father in heaven, receiving from Him daily a fresh what? A fresh what? What's the word? A fresh what? A fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. Hey, wasn't that a beautiful scene we saw just a moment ago with that father and those three boys? Guys, it doesn't get any better than that. There's more joy in heaven over three little boys than a whole planet. That was beautiful. 
And Daddy prayed right. He says, not only is there a baptism of water taking place, but there's a baptism of the Spirit that must take place. Oh, God, come into my boys. Fill them. Make them warriors. My girls, make them warriors for the kingdom of heaven. Morning by morning. Do you, do you know of any other way to ignite a new reformation? Tell me one other way a new reformation will, will be ignited. Can you think of one? No, you can't. You cannot. There is no other way. One gift. Okay, I'll sit down. But not before making an invitation. I'm not going to let this baptism of the Holy Spirit thing just kind of slip away, slip out of our consciousness, get off the radar screen. Got a new series starting in two weeks called You Turn My Morning Into Dancing. But I'm I'm just backing away from this, saying, well, we've had that. What's the new theme? No, this is staying with us till Jesus comes. By the way, a little girl named Sarah Hill, she's going to be preaching this Friday night at Proximity, the Vespers. She didn't know that we've been talking a lot about the baptism of the Holy Spirit around here. And the Holy Spirit laid on her and said, girl, you're going to preach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. She let me know because she heard about what we're doing here. She said, I'm going to preach on the baptism, Dwight, of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I'm going to I need some help. I, I, I want, I'm going to call students to come forward. I'm going to call students to come forward in this moment, and I'm going to ask them, do you want to be anointed with oil for the Holy Spirit? If you come forward, she said, I've talked to the pastors. I've talked to the elders. They'll all be here, right here, Friday night, 730. They'll all be here. And they will anoint you with oil because you have a longing. Let me tell you something in advance. There's no magic in the oil. It's nothing. It's just a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The very next morning, you're going to have to be on your knees, no oil, and you're going to say, Lord Jesus, fill me again today. Fill me again today. Baptize me. I'm sitting down. But first reminding you that when Luther died, You remember this? When Luther died, what was it, February 1546, only 62 years old, but he was an old man, worn out, worn out from this battle. When he died, his two boys were with him and some friends. They took his heavy coat, because it's winter in Germany and like here in February. They took his coat off, and they went through his pockets. You know, you'd do that. They went to his pockets. Anything? Did Dad leave anything? They find a piece of paper that's folded, tucked in one of the pockets. They open the paper up. It's Luther's handwriting. It's written in Latin and German. And here's the sentence. Hach es verum. That means this is true in Latin. Now here comes the German. Wir sind alle Pettler. We are all beggars. We are all Beggars. We are all beggars. That's why God says, He's right. You ask me. You beg me. You beg me. And I'll give you the Holy Spirit every day until Jesus comes. I'll give, I will baptize you afresh. There's no fireworks. There's no handwriting on the wall. You will just know it in your heart. I asked. He promised. I got it. And you will move through this community as a baptized by the Holy Spirit young adult, as a baptized by the Holy Spirit senior citizen or something in between. You ask me every morning, and I'll give it to you every single day.
every day. We are all beggars. We are. So I say, let's start begging. Because God is ready for a brand new reformation that will carry the human race in much faster progression to the end of time. I want to pray with you. Oh, God. All this trouble to get a Bible to us? Are you serious? The man's willing to die so that the Word of God can be ours. And we have five Bibles and one on our phone. All of this for a new Reformation 500 years later? Oh, Father, good and perfect, loving Father, we need one more gift the one that brings every other gift with it, please raise up a hundred people on this campus, a hundred pleaders, a hundred, a hundred beggars every morning asking for a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit for that day, for today. The new Reformation, you promised it. We believe it. And now, by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, bring it on. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.